What a wrap. Good morning. It is uh, my absolute delight to be with you this morning. Um, ever since I just walked into this building this morning, I have been in shock and awe at the beautiful transformation of this church. Uh, the last time I was here, Scott and I were walking through a very different looking church and um, the, the way that it has been both renovated physically but also the embodiment of the, the body of Christ here gathered is something really special and a testimony to what God is doing in this place. So it's beautiful to be with you this morning and to continue in this Advent series. Uh, as Scott said, uh, we actually used to work together. Scott used to be my boss and uh, we shared an office. We shared our love for licorice, bullets um, and... Whilst some of you I don't know, many of you I do, and like I said, it's just so fun to be with you here this morning. I want to start by sharing a story from one of my favourite books. Uh, it's a book that's just a collection of stories, and a lot of people read it and uh, are mesmerised by the content, but I think what's beautiful is the craftsmanship to be able to find deeper meaning in stories. I believe it's something that Jesus did so well. And so uh, this story is from a book called Love Does. And every single, nice, I've got a fan. Every single chapter, like I said, is a different story about a demonstration of what love looks like. And so the story I want to share with you this morning is about a, a high school dropout, a 17-year-old boy called Bob, and a Christian young adult called Randy. And what happened was Bob had a dream to drop out of school and travel up to Yosemite National Park to become a rock climber. He thought, I'll get a job during the day or at night and I'll just rock climb in all of my spare time. But school is not for me. I'm out of here. So he packed his Volkswagen bug car and drove to his friend's, his friend's house, uh, Randy early Sunday morning to bid him adieu and to go off set on his adventure. And so when he got to Randy's house, uh, it was early on a Sunday and so Randy opened the door a bit blurry-eyed and unsure of why Bob was standing at his door. And as Bob explained his exciting news of heading off an adventure, Randy said to him, oh, can you just hold on a moment? I just need to check something. Bob thought, sure, got nothing but time. Let's go. And so Randy came back after a couple of minutes and he carried with him a duffel bag. And he said, Bob, I'm with you. And to Bob's surprise, it meant that Randy had just decided to jump on his adventure, on his adventure and to travel up to Yosemite about 10 hour drive in a VW bug with a 17 year old boy. Very, very bizarre and not at all what Bob expected. When they arrived, being a typical 17-year-old boy, he had planned nothing. They had nowhere to stay and he had no job prospects lined up. And so they rolled out their sleeping bags and snuck into a campsite. Uh, they, they went each day trying to find work but of no avail. And when Bob walked out of one of the last job opportunities, he saw Randy standing next to uh, their car and... And Randy didn't have a look of, I told you so, or disappointment of, see, this is what happens when you are 17 and drop out of school with a crazy idea. No, he didn't say any of that. What Randy said was, well, we'll have another go at it tomorrow, and how about we do some rock climbing, but Bob, I'm with you. 
It was radical, radical behavior. And as, as Bob reflected on, on this experience of Randy, he says this, Randy had been with me and I could tell that he was with me in spirit as much as in his presence. He was committed to me and he believed in me. I wasn't a project. I was his friend. I wonder if you've had anyone in your life do something similar. I wonder if you've had anyone just be with you even though they think it's a silly idea. I wonder if you've had someone so tangibly and so profoundly come alongside you in this way. It's, it's revolutionarily different, a different approach. It's a, it's a different lifestyle. And what I would suggest is that Randy lived this way because Randy understood Christmas. Do you understand Christmas this morning? What does a story about a a 17-year-old and a guy called Randy have to do with Christmas? Let's jump into our text for this morning. Matthew 1, verses 20 to 22. We read here, But after he, talking about Joseph, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and in a dream said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is the announcement, the foretelling of the Christmas story that we celebrate, the Advent season, the waiting anticipation of what is to come. And, and it's, it's more than a pregnancy announcement. It's, it's more than uh, something that we just, yeah, we know that it's Christmas, his name is Jesus. But what I want to suggest this morning is that this text, the Advent series, the uh, Christmas season, does three things. The first thing, it reveals Christ. Secondly, it comforts me. And thirdly, I believe it challenges us. That's kind of where we're going to be heading this morning for everyone in the room who likes a plan. Um, I'm going to disproportionately invest my time in the first point, if you also are super A-type and need that kind of reassurance. Uh, But first, let's go into the first point there, reveals Christ. I want to look at some historical context and what's happening in just these two little verses that seems to have immense, immense different in our world. So naturally, we've, we've jumped into kind of partway through the story. What's happening here? Joseph is found out that his soon-to-be wife is pregnant, uh, not with his baby, and he is, uh, the word is confronted, oh sorry, is considered. He has considered this. And that sounds very measured to say, oh, he has considered this. But, but actually, the, the word and the language around in the Hebrew language, it's actually more of an anger. It's more of a, he's considered this. It's, it's with gritted teeth. Because as you can imagine, he's young and he's found the person he wants to spend the rest of his life with. And, and all things are kind of going ahead well and seeming like they're, they're going in the right direction until he finds out that she's pregnant with someone else's baby. What a scandal. What an absolute heartbreak. What does he do with that? He is in this torment of, do I continue and, and marry her? Do I divorce her quietly? What, what do I do now? 
And Joseph, can you imagine his mind is wandering, he's not sure, he's, he's frustrated, he's confused, he's anguished. And into that moment, an angel of the Lord comes and helps give him vision and direction for what this means. In his wandering mind, in his, perhaps, his disappointment, the angel of the Lord comes and he speaks truth. Says this, she will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Linguistically, here in English um, and actually in Greek, we, we miss kind of the connection and the wordplay in that sentence, in that verse. We say, okay, you should call him Jesus because naturally that means he will save the people from their sins. What's the correlation? How, how do they measure up? And uh, what we see is actually in the Hebrew and in the Aramaic, the language of the time colloquially used by Jesus and uh, the people in that nation, is that there's a word play that we just miss. See, it says, she will bear a son and you shall na- give him the name of Jesus, which in Hebrew is Yeshua. And then for he will save his people from their sins. And the verb to save is yesa. And so the connection there, just for people who, this is kind of for free, for people who love this stuff. Um, it's, it kind of says that his name will be Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save yesa, the people from their sins. And so there's this beautiful connection, even in the deep meaning of the name of Jesus, He's not even born yet. Like he hasn't started his ministry and they're already proclaiming the purpose and the vision that he has for his life. The fact that he is there in his essence, in the name that he is given to save the people from their sins. So why is this important other than for the people who love that stuff? Why is that important? It's because if we look at the context of what's happening here for the people, uh, for the Jews, they're under great oppression. This Jewish nation, you would have heard it in the bumper video, in the idea that there's this 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, there's oppression on the Jews, but then they go through other Uh, empires that come in and continue to oppress them. And so what we see is in the Holy Land, it was actually occupied and oppressed by the Romans. And before the Romans, it was oppressed by the Greeks. And before that, it was oppressed by the Persians. So the Jewish people for many, many years, many centuries, have been under this force of oppression. And it's a political and it's an economic and religious oppression. So as though it's, it's not just around the freedom of their faith, it's also in the politics that rule the land and the economic system. So why is that the case? It's, a beca- it's the case because the Romans have come in and they've kind of taken over a lot of the land. And land value, we think it's bad here on the Gold Coast. Um, the Romans, it is, uh, the Romans what they they did is they owned the land and they put a huge tax on it. And so these people are living under this threat and this cycle of oppression in the Romans. And what they are so desperate for is a savior, someone to save them from their oppressors. That's what they're looking for. That's what they believe is the good news of the Messiah who's coming. 
And so remember, though, what we heard is the name of Jesus is to save not from their oppressors, but from their sins. Kenneth Bailey, he's a a beautiful writer on the context of Jesus in Middle Eastern eyes. It gives great perspective as to some of the context that we miss. He says this, the concept of sin is shaped by what people are enduring from their oppressors. And the word salvation is used to express their longing to be free from that oppression. For such a community, there is little space in mind to tolerate anyone talking about its sins and its need for a savior from those sins. To get a little bit deeper here, what do I mean? They're they're looking for someone to take out the oppressor. They don't want someone to come and deal with the matters of their heart. They don't want someone to come in and to have to deal with the fact that they might have sin, but rather they're saying, don't don't look to us. You need to figure out this whole landscape of oppression first. We need you to take out the Romans. While you're at it, maybe the Greeks and the Persians as well, just in case they come back. And uh, I love this imagery that there's an archbishop, Desmond Tutu of South Africa. He was famous for giving such profound sermons and, and they're recorded in books and uh, beautiful imagery that he uses. In one, in one of his sermons uh, on hope and suffering, he talks about the image of a elephant and a mouse. And he says that, you know, imagine an elephant standing on a mouse's tail And and what we see here is that, of course, the mouse is under great oppression by the elephant. That to consider that we need to uh, deal with the mouse in any capacity is uh, so insensitive because of the immense pressure that the mouse is under by the elephant. And the fact that the the mouse has zero freedom, has zero uh, room to be able to express themselves in any way because the elephant is standing on their tail. And so what we see is this question that Desmond Tutu arises, and he says, but what if the mouse is oppressing other mice? What happens if, regardless of the elephant, if there's stuff going on with the mice? The observer must not forget the elephant but must the mouse's oppressive actions be ignored? What does Jesus say into this context? He says that he will save them from their sins. He's speaking to a Jewish nation here, and he's saying that he will save them from their sins. He's not talking about the elephant. He's not talking about the Roman oppressive uh, kind of systems. He's saying the fact that before you look at all that's going on around you, before you analyze the the darkness that's in the world, before you recognize that there's so much wrong, there's so much oppression, there's so much restriction, before you recognize any of that, Jesus has come to save them from their sins. John the Baptist, uh, he kind of came in and he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And he came before Jesus and uh, was setting the stage, if you will. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 to 77, it says this, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people in the forgiveness of whose sins? Their sins. 
So don't get me wrong, Jesus' salvation is for everyone. It's for the mice and the elephant. It's not for one or the other, but I think that it would be contrary of us to get the order wrong, that Jesus deals with the matters of the heart. He looks at each one of us and he wants to give us freedom regardless of our circumstance. He wants to give us freedom for the forgiveness of our sins. So what did this grace in a saviour look like? How, How did this come about? After the big pregnancy announcement, after Joseph kind of got his head in line, we, we read, I love the imagery that's in the message version of John 1 verses 14. It says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Don't you love that imagery? Jesus moved into the neighborhood. You know, he became a local. He went to your coffee shops. He met your neighbours. He knows your friends and your family. He came in and he had a job in in your local cafe, whatever it is. He moved into the neighbourhood. God himself put on flesh and became one of us. It's so mind-boggling. A.W. Tozer, he poses this question and he says, Oh, how can we get men and women around us to realize that God Almighty, before the beginning of the world, loved them and thought about them, planning redemption and salvation and forgiveness? How do we get people to realize that? How do we get our friends to realize that? How do do we see this in our families, that they can realize that God Almighty loved them and thought about them and was planning for their redemption and their forgiveness? And the answer for that is by truly understanding Christmas, by truly understanding what it meant for Jesus to come and be a baby, to grow up to be a man, who then was, uh, lived a beautiful ministry life only to be condemned and to be crucified on the cross. The incarnation, Jesus becoming human, is critical in answering that question. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the idea that before time, God had this planned. Again, A.W. Tozer, he says this, Nothing anywhere in this vast, complex world is as beautiful and as compelling as the record of the Incarnation the act by which God was made flesh to dwell amongst us in our own human history. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. No other faith has incarnation like this. No other faith has a God who is willing to send his son into the world. Why? Because he loved the world so that he could save the world. I love how C.S. Lewis, famous, famous uh, author, but also orator, he says in his book, Mere Christianity, the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that, a baby, and before that, a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think about how you would like to become a slug or a crab. Isn't that such good perspective? Imagine us giving up all it is that it is to be human 
to become a slug with the daily endeavour of what? Making a slippery path. (laughs) That is beautiful reality for the idea of the sacrifice that was in Jesus. He gave up being in heaven at the right hand of the Father with, with all that that entailed to, became, to become a human. And, and we can't reconcile that because we think, oh, what's wrong with being a human? We're like superior <laughs> in the animal kingdom. But then think about the slug. So in Matthew 1 verse, 20, uh, ch- 1 verse 20 to 22, our text for today, we see that it reveals Christ. And it gets clear the reason and the purpose for his, his coming is to save us from our sins. Not from our context, not from the oppression that we may have in a, a workplace or family situation. Whilst he does come to bring good news and salvation to that, he also comes to speak to the, the, the quality and uh, the position of our heart. But secondly, this story and this text, it comforts me. It comforts me greatly. Remembering back to Bob and Randy, Randy's words were, Bob, I'm with you. Bob, I am with you. And quite often, I think this, this Christmas story just stays a nice story because we don't quite understand what it means for this truth that God is with us. Jesus, being born a baby into this world, he became a local, he moved into the neighbourhood, he was living as both God and fully human. He was giving us the promise of being with us. Another word for Jesus is Emmanuel, which translates to God with us. When Bob knocked on Randy's door that Sunday morning, Randy didn't see a high school kid who was about to make some very poor life choices. But rather, what he saw was someone that he loved, a friend. He saw a need, and he did something about it. I love this. He didn't just say he was with Bob, but he was actually present with him. I wonder if you've got those people who promise a lot in your life, who say a lot, who who maybe encourage you, which is beautiful, but they're not really on the ground when things happen. There's There's a very big difference between promising something and delivering. And what we see in Jesus is the fact that God didn't just say, I love you. He didn't just say that I'm for you. He didn't just say that I'm with you, but actually through the giving of his son, through the incarnation of Jesus becoming becoming a baby and then becoming a human, what we see is that God delivered on his word. That's why we can say that he's faithful. That's why he is trustworthy, because it doesn't just stay in the uh, in the, the realms of words. It becomes actions. And that's great comfort to me. Why? Because I'm just like Bob. I make terrible life choices in the sense that I go off and I pursue my dreams and my visions and my purpose. I try and and find fun and adventure and and life sometimes in the wrong places. And what do I do? I, I, I drive up to the doorstep of God and I say, here are my plans. 
and I thank him for his friendship and then I go on the road by myself. But what I love about the promise of Christmas and what I love about this message in, in the gospel is the fact that we don't just have someone who waves at the door and says, all right, good luck, we'll see you when you're back in three days. No, like Randy, he says, I am with you and he doesn't just say it, but he does it. And he's in the car right next to us when we're making all those choices, the good and the bad. He is with us, and that is hugely comforting. Jesus' parting words, we're starting at Matthew 1, but if you go through to Matthew 28, he gives both a commission and a promise. He says, you know, to go out and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. That's the commission, that's the mission that we're sent on. But he couples it with a beautiful promise where he says, for I am with you always. And what we can see because Jesus in the flesh said this to the people around him is that God fulfills his promises. He doesn't just say, I am with you always, but he actually follows it through with action. And the action of that I am with you always is in the giving of the Holy Spirit. What happens is Jesus says, I am with you always, but then he leaves. So you're kind of like, wait a minute, thought you were going to stay with us. But he says, it's better that I leave because the power that raised Jesus to the dead now lives in you and I, indwells in us. The fact that Jesus is with us always through the power of his Holy Spirit. Our text for today, it reveals Christ. It's a great comfort to us because promise is made into action and it also challenges us. It's deeply challenging. When Bob and, and Randy returned home after a lot of kilometres and a lot of petrol uh, and a big failed dream... Randy invited Bob into his home and uh, so he, he probably walked in a bit defeated and a bit upset. And when he walked into the home, he noticed that there was a lot of wrapping paper on the ground and, and big appliances all around. And he thought, Did, Randy hasn't moved house. I, I wonder what's going on here. And to his shock, it all clicked when Randy's girlfriend walked around the corner to welcome them home. And, and he put two and two together and he realised, that's not Randy's girlfriend anymore. That's his new bride. And the shock came in when he realised, had Randy given up the first few days of his marriage with his new bride to jump in the car with me to travel 10 hours to sleep in a sleeping bag, why? He'd, he'd given up a beautiful time with his wife, his new, brand new wife, to be with 17-year-old me making stupid decisions. What sacrifice. Bob Goff, when he reflected on this, he said, when I learned, what I learned from Randy changed my view permanently about it what it means to have friendship with Jesus. I learned that faith isn't about knowing all the right stuff or obeying a list of rules. It's something more, something more costly because it involves being present and making a sacrifice. Perhaps that's why Jesus is sometimes called Emmanuel, God with us. 
I think that's what God had in mind, for Jesus to be present and to just be with us. It's also what he has in mind for us when it comes to other people. What we see in this story of Randy and Bob is that not only does Randy promise to be with Bob, it comes at a cost. It comes at at such sacrifice. And I believe that you and I are called to live a life that is uh, full of sacrifice, but also presence. It's costly to love people wholeheartedly. It's costly to follow Jesus. But the the beautiful thing is that we have it mimicked to us in Christ. We have an example. We have someone who went before who we can aspire to be more like. In Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, right before this uh, kind of part of Scripture, it talks about not doing anything out of selfish ambition, this idea that we are to live a sacrificial life. But talking about Christ here in verse 6, it says, Christ, who being the very, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And to add at C.S. Lewis, becoming a slug. He gave up. It was costly. It was sacrifice. And not just to stand at a distance, not just to come in and rule over uh, the world, not just to come over and be this maybe new force of oppression perhaps, but rather to come in and to be a servant. To come in and to give up uh, eternity, to give up the perfection of heaven, to come in and serve the world. Why? To save the world. What a sacrifice. This gift that we receive from Christ at Christmas is a costly one. It's not cheap. It costs very much. And sometimes we can take it for granted. Sometimes we forget at this time of year that it's not just something to worship and to adore, but that it came at a price. And in that sacrifice, it makes it all the, all the more worth it. Randy's story just goes to that next level when you notice that actually he gave up time with his wife. And the other sacrifice that I just can't believe is how did the wife say yes? Imagine being on your honeymoon and just being like, okay, bye, when are you coming back? I don't know, okay, cool. It it creates just as much sacrifice for his wife And I believe that that's what we see in God the Father. Such sacrifice in him as well to to release his son. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It was out of pure love. We also are called to this life. We also are not just wanting our promises to stay promises. We don't want just our words that we proclaim and profess in church to stay as words. We want them to translate into actions. We want people to experience the love of God in and through us. In our first John, it says that you will know my disciples by how they love one another. 
we will be known by our love for one another. And I believe that love at its truest form in what we see in God the Father, because he is love, is this sacrifice and it's this presence with one another. And I wonder this morning, I'm not often with you, uh, so I don't know who's in the room, but I wonder if you haven't yet accepted this gift that is Christ. I wonder if this Christmas, after the kind of two years that we've had, you've been wrestling with maybe there's more to this life than, hopefully, <laughs> than what we're experiencing. Perhaps you're, you're wanting to receive this, this beautiful companionship that we have in Christ. Someone that says, I am with you. Someone who is with you and who walks every day with you. It's, it's something that I think that if you've been a Christian for a while, you've had faith in Jesus for a while, like I said before, it, it just becomes normal and, and it's easy to take it for granted. But going through this life, knowing that you have someone with you, regardless of circumstance, there's nothing like it. There is absolutely nothing that compares. And I would love to be able to lead you in a prayer this morning if you're wanting to make that call for the first time or even just to come back or to just reaffirm it in your life this Christmas season. So if you would all stand with me, I would love to pray. And maybe as a community, because I know every single time that there's a kind of call for people to make Jesus the Lord and, uh, the Lord and Saviour of their life, I'm always wanting to say that prayer, always. So maybe today, this morning, we all say this as community because I bet that there's many of you like me who often just want to be able to come back to Christ and to make him the Lord and Saviour of your life. So how about you repeat this prayer as I say it? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your gift that you are with me, you are for me, and you love me. Lord, I'm sorry for the times I've gone my own way. Today, I wanna come back to you and recognize my need for you. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How beautiful, the presence and the gift the sacrifice that we have in Jesus, that He came onto this earth, gave up so much to be with us. Such a propelling and, and beautiful promise. How about we end our service in just the, how we worship God together?